what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello everyone and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan Jackson. I am the co-director and co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. With me at the other end of the uh, studio here is Mr. Chris Fry, the other co-founder and co-director. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing good. I'm looking forward to talking about movies, as always. We actually have a little bit of movie news, which is kind of exciting. Well, I mean, (laughs) we have some movies that are coming out, but unfortunately, there's not a a whole lot of bubbling news going on in the film industry still. You know, we're, uh, we're recording this in early November uh, the slim pickings at the theaters continue, and we're starting to see more and more interesting films make their way online. So we will have a few films we'll be talking about that, yes, I think uh, at least, actually, I think all three of them are going to be going to some form of online distribution, which will be interesting. We'll get to that when we get to the movie news section of the show. But first off, Chris, uh, we do have a couple of movie reviews that we'll be discussing. First up, we'll be reviewing the latest Borat movie. I know there's a whole subtitle to the to the film. The short title. version is Borat subsequent movie film. But yes, there's Borat even subsequent movie film. Okay, we're just going to go with that one. Sure. That's going to be the first film we're reviewing, the latest film uh, starring and of course created by uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. Then we'll be reviewing the film On the Rocks, the latest film by director Sofia Coppola, starring Rashida Jones and Bill Murray. Then, as we already spoiled for you, we are going to talk about some upcoming movie projects that are going to be making their uh, debut, it looks like, either online through Netflix or other VOD sources. Some interesting projects. We're going to watch the trailers, talk a little bit about those films, and give some initial reactions to them. And then we will wrap up the show, as always, with our recommendation of the episode. That is where Chris and I both recommend for you a film that either we just had a chance to catch up with recently or feel like maybe is a good time to, uh, to, 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 to watch. I'll go ahead and say, I know Halloween was just this past weekend. Yes. So I will go ahead and spoil it and say my recommendation is going to be a Halloween film. Ah. But unfortunately, I know we're releasing this episode after Halloween. So will it have as much impact? Eh, maybe not. But, you know, we still think it's something we're checking out. So. So, Chris, are we ready to get started with our first review as we get into the show here? Let's do it. Okay. Our first review is uh, Sasha Baron Cohen bringing back the Borat character for Borat subsequent movie film. Fourteen years ago, I released a movie film which brought great shame to Kazakhstan. But now I was instructed to return to Yankee Land to carry out secret mission. I go to America! Borat! What do you say? Borat. No, it's not me. Borat, come back! People may recognize my face. I would need disguises. This man is a sex criminal? No, I'm not a sex criminal. I will take this to be a fat <laughs> like American man. Yeah? This is a good one. <laughs> Where is his crumb? What is problem, officer? 
With the Borat shtick of Sasha Baron Cohen well known after the 2006 film, he tried something slightly different with a character, Bruno, in 2009. Since 2009, Cohen went for more traditional dramatic roles in Hugo, Les Miserables, and a recent appearance in Aaron Sorkin's directed The Trial of Chicago 7. In a somewhat surprise move, Borat's subsequent movie film, Delivery of Prodigious Bride to American Regime for, for Make Benefit Once Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan. That is the apparent original title of the movie. But we'll just go with Borat's subsequent movie film. It was announced in September and bought by Amazon to be released in October, released on October 23rd, with some of the filming actually taking place during the COVID-19 pandemic. So it's kind of unique in that sense. Um, Alan, how did Sasha Baron Cohen's return to the Borat character work for you in 2020? Uh, and you have seen the original. I yeah, guess I, I saw the original. Granted, the original was 14 years ago. Yes. And the original, I'll, I'll say this about the original. We did not review it because we had not started our podcast. Pre-podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed the original because it was a very you know, unique film. It was a, a mixture of scripted and unscripted bits. And obviously you watch it to see the uncomfortable situations that the title character gets into by interacting with real people who don't know that they're in on a joke. Here we are 14 years later, and I think the film does something interesting in that it actually very early on acknowledges the fact that people know who Borat is. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole montage of him basically running from people who know who he is and know that what his shtick is. Trying to give him high fives. That's right. Trying to trying to get him to say his catchphrases, trying to get photos with him. And I think that was that's good. Acknowledging that. So then they have to revert to a idea of where Sasha Baron Cohen as Borat is going to go into disguises throughout the rest of the film. Right. When, when everybody kind of knows the game, it's a little harder for me to find enjoyment or interest in the film because I just don't, I feel like there's just too many places where it's got to be very, very obvious to people that something is happening. Something's going on. Right. And it takes a little of the edge off, you know, and I think this is a film that it's hard to replicate what made the 2006 one so unique because 14 years have passed. I mean, there are Halloween costumes for Borat. You know, everybody knows this character. And if you see someone who in any way resembles Borat with a camera nearby, (laughs) you know something's up and you know something's going to go down on the film. There may be only two or three moments in this film where I felt like people really didn't know what was going on around them. And those moments were interesting, but nothing rivaled. I felt like what I felt watching 2006, the original one. Um, So it's almost like if everybody knows the game, it's really hard for it to come off as truly authentic what's happening and what made the first one so interesting. That said, I thought there were some moments that were funny. I thought there were some scenes that were cringeworthy in the right way. Mm -hmm. Um, but it just didn't hold up to the original. And I think just because of the cultural touchstone that that first one did become, it's really hard to replicate that same level of ingenuity and creativity with your film when everybody's in on the joke. So that's where I am with it. How about you, Chris? What, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, it seems like we're kind of pretty much on the exact same page. Yeah, the the original, you know, whether there were true gotcha moments is kind of hard to know. Like you mentioned, what was staged and what wasn't staged. I mean, some of it's obviously 
stage, but people don't aren't in on the joke, like you're saying, you know, so, but some of it, you kind of figure like, okay, they obviously knew this was, you know, funny or what they knew it was kind of a joke with this one. You know, you figure like you're saying pretty much everybody kind of knows what's going on. And if they don't, then it, I, I don't know. The gotcha moments aren't as interesting now because mm-hmm. what he exposed back in 2006 was, you know, some people's opinions and beliefs or values. And then, his targets, he would kind of, you know, mock them or whatever. And okay, back in 2006, when that had never been done quite in that manner, it was somewhat unique. But like you're saying, 14 years later, (laughs) you kind of do the same type thing, and it doesn't really have the same effect. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say there were some things that I thought were funny, but you could see them coming Mm -hmm. a mile away. There's a thing where the whole background behind this film is supposedly like i said in the ridiculously long title he's trying to bribe the american government with a gift and the gift is his daughter which he didn't know he had until the beginning of this film he brings her over and tries to make her american and all this kind of stuff one of the gags is he takes her to like this i don't like a debutante ball yeah like type a cotillion thing. type of a thing cotillion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and you know that it's not going to go well. And, mm. you know, sure enough, it kind of devolves and gets really kind of graphic and in sexual nature, like this big joke of her basically being on her period and exposing mm-hmm. herself. You knew something like that was going to happen. I feel like the people around clearly didn't really know. They knew something was going on, but they didn't know the extent of what was about to happen. And for that reason, you're kind of like, yeah, that doesn't really it doesn't really hit the mark as far as what he's trying to expose or what he's trying to do, you know, trying to be funny. That being said, watching this with my wife who had not seen the first film, Hmm. but she knew what Borat was. She knew the whole thing was he went around and made people look bad. And, you know, she kind of knew the whole, the whole thing watching this movie though, and not knowing how he did it or how people's reaction were. It was interesting to watch her like at that cotillion scene. She's like, Oh no. Oh Mm -hmm. no. Like, you know, just kind of like, and like she, you know, or the scene where they go to, if you know, if you like Borat and you haven't seen this movie, maybe don't listen to some of this because, Mm -hmm. because you talking about the gags, it's kind of talking about how it was effective. And I'll try to skirt around certain things, but basically she goes to a bakery and ends up having to go to a doctor because she swallowed something. Um, that whole setup I thought was interesting and Brenna kind of didn't know where that was going. And then she was like, Oh, you know, so Mm -hmm. just kind of watching it through someone else's eyes, if they haven't had the true Borat experience, that was interesting. Yeah. All that to say the things that the, for me, there were two moments that I was kind of impressed that they got away with. Mm -hmm. And I will give it to Mr. Sasha Baron Cohen that at least in one instance, you know, it's clear that he is dedicated to playing this character and whether or not his personal safety may or may not be in danger. Mm-hmm. You kind of don't know. He goes to a white supremacist rally and somehow gets up on stage and starts singing this very like obviously politically incorrect song. Mm-hmm. And then the reaction of the crowd. And then how he quickly kind of dances off stage and goes away and then has to, I saw afterwards, like in some behind the scenes stuff, he gets like in a car and like people are beating on the van and everything wanting to like basically mess him up. Yeah. (laughs) But he gets away to me. It's like, well, you're dedicated to doing this, this gag. That was interesting. And then if you're listening to this, you've probably heard 
that there's a Rudy Giuliani piece mm-hmm. where they do an interview with him and it doesn't paint him in a very flattering light. No. Um, impressive that that was even made to happen to begin I, with. Yeah. So, I mean, well, and you don't, but you, also hearing all the things I think Rudy Giuliani tends to trip up doing in his, in the rest of his career right now in the last year or so sure. in his uh, role with, with the, the Trump campaign, I could totally see it happening. Uh, just, yeah, I just, I, I question the security, the checks, the background checks and everything, or how much he knew what was going on versus not. I don't right. know. Um, but either way, it didn't make him come across very well. And, no, uh, and just the fact that that, yeah, that that did get captured on film. It yeah. was there. And it I, I think those two moments you talked about were probably two of the most what I expected out of a film, a Borat film. I'll add to that too. I think him crashing the uh, the big uh, the, the big uh, fundraising activity where Mike Pence was yes. that he was dre- also dresses up yeah, in a Trump costume. That was also one where I was like, okay, yeah, I totally felt like that was authentic and that was something that you know you don't have to have known who the borat character was to still make this a very uh uncomfortable but yet very biting and very satirical type of event to happen i just felt like in between those three or four moments there was just a lot of playing off the borat stick and mm-hmm. not really doing anything that daring you know there are funny moments i mean you know they're going to a dress shop to pick out a dress for the daughter. Nothing in that was biting, satirical. And, Some and, of it and was I, just you, funny. And you get a faint sense that probably the employees knew what was going on and kind of played along with it. Halloween store, costume right. shopping, all those things. They're funny, but it doesn't really doesn't have a lot of teeth behind it. Right. So there are three, two or three moments where I feel like the teeth are out and oh, yeah. it works. I, I, I just don't feel like it was anywhere as much as what we saw in the first one because that first one had that – Nobody knew who Sasha Baron Cohen was for the most part. Correct. Definitely didn't know the Borat character. You could really kind of get ingrained with some interesting situations and have something fun to show on film where we've lost a lot of that now, unfortunately. So. There's, a, there's a whole section where he, Borat, basically embeds himself with these two people that are quarantining, and then he ends up going with them to the rally. That yeah. works for that whole part to me just and Grant like seemed overly staged. Yeah. Like and maybe the people just thought he was somebody famous. Like I don't know, I don't know how that was, or whether they were just all plants to begin with. With if if they were, then that really renders that part like completely just dumb. Like yeah. it doesn't make any sense. So I will say on um, something that I didn't expect, um, which I wonder if what's your thoughts on this? As far as sounds kind of weird to use this phrase. But moments of grace mm-hmm. in a Borat film. Mm-hmm. I do not really remember. Grant, no. it was 14 years ago. There was not in I, the first one. Okay, no. I don't really remember any moments of grace. You know, pretty much everybody he was taking advantage of. Sometimes you might have felt a little bad for him because it was like they don't really know what he's doing and they're actually nice people. Why are, you know, like with this film, there were two different instances. One is where he takes his daughter to Tar mm-hmm. to have like a, basically he's having her babysat, even though she's obviously, an, you know, like 18 years old, but mm-hmm. he's leaving her with the babysitter so he can go off and make some money so he can pay for her to have some plastic surgery. I think it's the, <laughs> yes. Okay. Basically. The, yes. The babysitter, it is my understanding and doing a little reading offline. She was not, she knew they were making some type of like movie or whatever, but she thought it was kind of like a, 
a documentary kind of, she wasn't really in on what was exactly was going on and didn't know who bore out what, like she, she wasn't aware mm-hmm. of any of that. Some of the exchanges that she has with the daughter, you know, they're funny at first, but then you can see she's seemingly genuinely trying to help this yep. person to be like, Hey, sure. you know, maybe your dad's not really you know, giving you good advice or you, know, she seems genuine and kind of the, some of the stuff she says to her actually was kind of affecting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Something different later in the film, uh, it's they touch on it in the first film. They touch on it again here that you know Borat's home country supposedly you know takes great pride in the in the Holocaust, and they would like think it's you know they think it's really fun because they hate Jewish people, and it's that's yeah. kind of a running you know joke poking fun at their anti-Semitism. Well, in this film. Borat goes to a synagogue because he's depressed because he has been told by his daughter because she saw a Facebook thing that supposedly the Holocaust didn't exist. Mm -hmm. So he gets really down. And, you know, all this is basically a big setup, but he goes to a Jewish synagogue dressed up as a really offensive version of what a Jewish person would be. And the people in the – there's some ladies in the synagogue, and they, you know, talk to him and totally don't – they're not baited by what he's doing, and they're just totally like, no, we're just – you know – and I actually thought that was mm-hmm. somewhat genuine. And yeah. apparently I did actually, you know, I always try to stay through the credits and everything, but I actually didn't make it all the way through the credits of this Borat movie. But apparently it ends up being, I think, dedicated to one of the women that was in the synagogue who was an actual Holocaust survivor. Oh, wow. And the quote says something like, you know, be, I can't remember, but it's something like, you know, be kind to others or something. And it's kind mm. of this. So I don't know whether they knew that some movie crew was coming in there and they just kind of reacted to what he was doing, but they didn't know the whole scope of what he was doing mm-hmm. as being Borat. And somehow just like their humanness and some yeah. of that grace, that was kind of, that was kind of unexpected. Well, the movie was actually a lot more touching than I remember the first one ever coming anywhere close to being. Uh, there's actually a really nice scene late in the film between the Borat, Borat character and his daughter, True, which you know, I tried to remember, I'm like, I don't remember ever having anything that touched on sentimentality mm-hmm. or emotion from the first film. So that in itself, you know, the film was trying to do a little bit more. I think this is also a situation where Sasha Baron Cohen has been very open about his own political beliefs and his own, uh, you know, leanings towards things. So I guarantee you it's probably a situation where back in 2006, I think you could make fun of the people that were had very opposing views mm-hmm. of your own and can kind of be seen as the one exposing some of these more fringe or outlandish belief systems out there. I think probably now in 2020 it's it's he sees it as a little bit more of his calling yeah. to bring this out as opposed to just poke fun at it is a hey look these 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 type of mentalities still exist and this is here we are 2020 and this is still where we are. And of course, like you mentioned, the virus was actually the pandemic was happening while the film was being made. So there's a whole part of the heart, half of the film where they acknowledge the fact that, Hey, this pandemic started and now it's affecting some of these situations. And then a little coda, they try to bring together towards the end of how that all tied together, which I thought that was really bizarre, but I guess in a Borat world kind of makes it, sense. It worked in the Borat sense of things. And yeah. I mean, I thought it was at least a little clever to like say, Oh yeah, that's how they're going to tie 
this whole thing together with what's going on right now in our world. Sure. So I think this is a, ver- a, a version of the Borat film that is more in tune with what's really going on and feels a little more of a sense of purpose sure. to, for why it's here than it did in 2006. But in hindsight, it also makes it less effective in my mind because so much time's passed and we, we know, we know this character, we know the, the, the situations he's trying to expose and it just didn't have as much bite as that first film did. Yeah, I think regard. if you're a huge fan of Borat from 2006, then you might enjoy watching this. Yeah. For me, I mean, it was just okay. Yeah. I think because, you know, we've been living with things being very divisive politically or people's opinions being very heightened and very sensitive. And so finding humor in that in 2020 as opposed to finding humor tougher. in that in 2006 – it's kind of a different different ball of yeah. wax. But. Well, that's our take on Borat's subsequent movie film. I'm not going to do the whole long title. <laughs> Fair enough. But uh, overall, we're saying it's it's passable, fine entertainment, but not, you know, uh, definitely not what we were hoping for after seeing the first one 14 years ago. And I just felt like it left a lot on the table. It just uh, it had a lot more opportunity to go deeper on things and it didn't for various reasons. And uh, I felt like that ultimately impacted it, made it a less effective film, less enjoyable film to some degree as well. So that is Borat. Uh, let's move on there, Chris, to our second review, which is a, a very different film on the rocks. It's the latest film by writer director, Sofia Coppola and starring Rashida Jones and Mr. Bill Murray. Hi, Dad. Hey, kiddo. Oh, my gosh, do you look beautiful. Cliff, how's your mom's hip? Good, thanks. Good. He thinks you're my girlfriend. Grace. Been busy? Yeah. Dean's traveling with clients all the time, and I'm just the buzzkill waiting to schedule things. Just, I'm so stuck. So Dean's going away a lot, huh? On business trips? Dad. Raise your hand if that sounds fishy. He's not like you. He's a good guy, a great dad. Sure, it's nature. Males are forced to fight, to dominate, and to impregnate all females. Maybe he's just not interested in me anymore. Impossible. A woman's at her most beautiful between the ages of 35 and 39. Great, so I have many months left. Billy, you're back in town. Been busy? Yeah. Got a lot going on. Do you? He should be worshiping the ground you walk on. And if he's doing something dishonorable, you need to know. What if Dean's just busy? I'm in a rut. That's it. I think we should follow him. What? I think you better see him in action. This is your idea of incognito? Coming through. Here's the plaza. This is the place to have an affair. Has the most exits. Exits on three streets. Can you just act a little less excited about this? Because this is my life. And it might be falling apart. I don't know why women get plastic surgery. Because of men like you. I prefer the factory original. <laughs> yeah, and every other make and model. Thank you. I'm going to take that as a compliment. <laughs> Are there two? Oh, scared me. Chris, with the film On the Rocks, we have writer-director Sofia Coppola, who's 
made several films, but I'd say probably best known for Lost in Translation, only because that was the one that really kind of announced her as a as a as a big director. Sure. And paired her with another Bill Murray slash up and coming actress pairing back then with Scarlett Johansson. Now we see a little change on the female side, but not on the male side. Bill Murray is still the lead in this uh, film, but he's uh, playing a little bit secondary character to Rashida Jones as Laura. Laura stars as a young mother who's trying to reconnect with her larger than life playboy father on an adventure through New York. And what that line doesn't tell you is that this is, has to do with some concerns and beliefs that she uh, fosters about her husband, played by Marlon Wayans, her, his character Dean, possibly having an affair on her or not being faithful to her and the concerns that that's raised with her. Her father, Felix, played by Bill Murray, has had quite a bit of experience in the whole cheating on spouses over the years. So right. they kind of have a very uh, interesting team up to try to find out what is actually going on and ultimately what it says about her and her relationship with both her father and her husband. Um, now, Chris, I was a fan of Lost in Translation many years ago uh, for several reasons. One, I liked uh, the pace of the film. I liked the very comfortable, natural dialogue between Bill Murray's character and Scarlett Johansson's character. Okay. Um, I liked the fact that it was a relationship that never crossed the line, but it was a very natural relationship to me. Two people kind of thrust into a in situation where they're both, neither one are very comfortable with where they are in life and where they are at the time geographically. Here with On the Rocks, Bill Murray gets to play a little bit of a variation of that character to some degree. He's not necessarily an actor. I think he's an art collector of what yes. I gathered from this one. Um, and his relationship with his daughter now in this situation. Um, but kind of comparing, it's hard not to compare the two. You know, Sofia Coppola has made a lot of other films, but this is probably the most close in tone, style, and of course, actor uh, to Lost in Translation. How did this compare if you look back to some of her previous work, especially that one particular film? And overall, uh, what do you think of this film? So, you know, the way films are released in 2020, it's just so hard to gauge things. This was a Apple, was it Apple Plus? Is that the name of the Apple service? Apple TV Plus. Apple TV Plus. Okay. Yes. You have to say it right. So this is an Apple TV Plus release. It did, I think in some cities it did come to a theater, but then yes. they, they put it on Apple TV Plus, and that was basically the, the main release of it, which is how I got to see it. Um, so it's it's strange for me because prior to this, the only, the thing that I knew that um, Sofia Coppola did, she did The Beguiled, which I wasn't that big of a fan of, but before that, like a big splash that she hadn't done a movie in a while, was she made a Netflix special with Bill Murray. <laughs> and it was called A Very Murray Christmas. And it was mm -hmm. basically, if you can imagine, like the things that used to be released in the 70s and 80s where somebody's in a situation and they're kind of trying to host a Christmas party and people stop in and pop in and put in appearances and that's it. There's not a lot of writing. It's just some songs, a little bit of like comedy bits, and that that's it. That's all it essentially is. Very light, very non-essential, but, you know, Bill Murray be, being Bill Murray, kind of entertaining. With this, I thought there was going to be – I'd seen the trailer. Um, I saw the chemistry or what I thought looked like chemistry between Rashida Jones and Bill Murray. Um, but it ended up just being very slight for mm -hmm. me and not substantial – which was disappointing because I feel like, you know, 
she has the comfort with Bill Murray. This is the third thing that she's made with him in it. Rashida Jones was actually in, you know, Very Merry Christmas, not a huge part, but she was in it. Um, so I guess I just, I thought there was going to be more. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of potential there. I think their relationship on screen is good between Laura and Felix, the, you know, the father daughter. Um, but it just, it just came off feeling kind of slight to me. So, yeah, no, I'm with you with ultimately I, I was pretty disappointed with this film. I, I, I didn't get a lot from it. I actually felt like the trailer. I think we actually watched the trailer on, a, so. on an episode. And I feel like the trailer pretty much told you just about everything you need to know about this film. And actually some of the best moments and lines were actually in the trailer. So yeah. I felt like it was kind of a cheat a little bit too in watching the film. Um, I don't even know if I really bought the relationship between really? Felix and Laura as much. And really? I, unfortunately okay. I got to, I got to put it on Rashida Jones for this. I, hmm. I thought Bill Murray, okay. Bill Murray sleepwalks through this, this movie, but that's kind of what he does now. And it's his stick. And he did what he, he does and he does it fine in this film. I mean, he I was mean, he's still playing like, like a variation of other Bill Murray characters. Exactly. Right? He's a playboy type yeah, person. He's I mean, cool and, and he, jokes. he played yeah. the part that was given to him. Sure. Rashida Jones. I really like her. I think she's a great actress. Unfortunately, I just felt like she's been given all the lines that are the, the trailer lines. It's like mm-hmm. the lines that just kind of put a little touchstone on every little moment or try to make a little catty response to anything that, uh, Bill Murray says, as felt like it was just a lot of cliche dialogue that was kind of fed to her and didn't give her a lot of agency in that situation. Mm-hmm. So she's a really good actress. Okay. I just felt like she was kind of playing by a script that was given to her where Bill Murray was just kind of playing a natural character. And the two just seemed to be a little bit on different levels the whole time. Uh, not quality levels, just more like Bill Murray's just kind of coasting through the scenes for better or for worse. She's reading a very scripted dialogue and the two just didn't seem to be quite natural with one another from that end. So yeah, I, I think that's a really apt description of the movie. It's almost like, you know, I wouldn't really say, yes, there were some funny, funny moments, but I wouldn't really say this was a comedy. It was kind no. of a drama. Now the exception of it is when Bill Murray's on screen and he is, you know, quote unquote, kind of bantering or delivering lines with Rashida Jones. It's like, yeah, he's trying to make it a comedy. And, but when he's not on there, it's like this serious, kind of well drama thing with Rashida Jones, you know, worried about her husband. Well, even if you get past the fact that yes, Bill Murray gets the, the lighter, funnier moments. Ultimately there's a real sense of tragedy and darkness and sadness behind everything he says, because he's talking to his daughter. We don't mean he's, he, he obviously had extramarital relationships that caused his, his, uh, he and he and Laura's mother to uh, separate. Right. And, for him to be kind of joking and making light of the fact that he's a playboy and all this, you got to know is, is affecting Laura or has to be affecting her every step of the way. So it's, yeah, it's chuckle. haha. Bill Murray said something funny about being just a carefree playboy and spending money and driving fast cars. But ultimately the movie's got a lot of sadness to it behind those relationships that, that, and the, the effect it's had on the people around them. So yeah, I mean, I'm looking at IMDb right now. The film is tagged as a comedy drama an adventure, <laughs> which is like, well, you want to talk uh, about the adventure part where uh, they go to uh, Mexico. Yeah. That whole part to me really, really clunky. Didn't work. No, it yeah. didn't. And, and it's almost like I liked it just being a very kind of simple, 
yeah, you want to say adventure because basically he's going to help her spy on her husband to see if what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I liked it when it was just almost like that was like a by story where it like it really is about Lauren Felix kind of reconnecting and sharing some some uh, opinions of what's happened in their life and where it leads them to now. But when they actually fly to Mexico, I'm like, no, no, they're totally jumped on this whole bandwagon of we're going to try to catch him him in the act. And yeah, it was almost become came too caperish at that moment. It was just yeah. it just didn't work. It didn't fit the rest of the film. But at the end of the day, yeah, the film is just super slight. I'm not really quite sure what we're to pull from it, other than what we got in the trailer. Which, <laughs> yeah, I feel like I understood the film completely just from the trailer itself. There wasn't a lot more to it. I mean, the performances were fine. I thought Marlon Wayans was good as Dean. Um, Jenny Slate is used so superficially, and, and I don't randomly. know if that was more and, just yeah. because they want to have her in the film, but I kept waiting for her character to be something of more importance, and it never happened. I um, agree. Yeah, she was yeah. kind of a, a mom who was also going through struggles. That would They made a joke of her always kind of venting when they were waiting yeah. in line to pick up their kids, and yeah, that didn't really... I get that it's supposed to show yeah. a little comparison to what what Laura is going through in real life and what now the Vanessa character played by Jenny Slade is kind of what's happening to her in a very superficial manner. Right. Um, But I just, I don't know. I felt like there was just a lot of wasted potential here. It just didn't really go anywhere for me. And uh, it was a really, yeah, slight's the best word. Uh, You said it. I I completely agree. Just a very slight film and uh, always fun to watch Bill Murray Again, I really like Rashida Jones. I just felt like she was the one following the script and Bill Murray wasn't and that disconnect didn't work. It just, it, for me, it didn't work as well. It didn't make it as enjoyable, the dinner scenes and the, the bar scenes that they had together as much as I was hoping it would. So, Right. Yeah. Obviously, you know, you mentioned the individuals involved, you know, Rashida Jones, Bill Murray, Talented people. It just didn't quite work. And I think, you know, Sofia Coppola, she is a good director. She has, you know, she can she can direct, you know. But this just something about it just came off being slight. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. was, like you said, a, a disappointment. It is a disappointment. Again, I, part of it is, you know, Bill Murray's just not in a whole lot of films. So if I know he's going to be in a film, <laughs> especially with Sofia Coppola again, I'm like, sure. oh, this could be really cool. I really like Rashida Jones. I like the premise the premise was great. I remember when we discussed the film, we were all excited because like, oh, this looks really, really good. And it, I think it's just disappointing that it just didn't go anywhere. Right. And that was, especially now that we're in a world where we're craving some really good content to come. <laughs> and this was the first A24 film to go completely online, like for its premiere, right. especially with Apple. And you Apple's to, now got a partnership. That, that A24 yeah. was big in A24 show. Films now has this partnership with Apple where they're going to be releasing some of their original films through Apple TV+. Plus. Mm. So for this to be the first one, it's like, ah, uh, well, that's, that's a letdown. You know, like this could have been really cool and it just wasn't. So yeah. um, <laughs> anyway, so it sounds like, yeah, you and I are both disappointed and just not to say that it's a horrible film. I mean, yeah. it's a fine film to watch. It's just, there just isn't a lot to it and just didn't have a lot to stick afterwards. And uh, I just, I wanted it to be so much better. Yeah, agreed. Okay. Well, that is On the Rocks. Uh, as you can tell from our review, you know, we're not not big fans of the film. I will say of all the Sofia Coppola films I've seen, this is probably the one I, that resonates with me the least mm-hmm. and just has the least going on with it. 
Um, and certainly comparing it to loss in translation, that was just a, a much, much stronger film with a lot more interesting things to say. Um, but it is available on Apple TV plus. If you have that, that subscription, you can watch it for free. And, um, it's not that it's a, a bad film, just uh, just leaves a lot left on the table, I'm afraid. Yeah. Um, so, Chris, that's our two review films. Uh, both of them sound like they were little disappointments to us, not ones we're extremely happy or proud of uh, for the moment. <laughs> but um, it's okay. Let's move on and let's talk about, in the latter half of the show, let's talk about maybe some movie projects that are coming up that could be really interesting ones. So when we come back from this quick break, we're going to talk about three films that we have some trailers to preview, talk about that are coming up for release over the next couple of months. And then Chris and I will also share with you our recommendation for the episode. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the TV. Alan Jackson and Chris Fry with you here once again. We finished the first half of our show with the reviews of the latest Borat film, as well as the film On the Rocks. Neither film really uh, getting a lot of high praise from us. Uh, you know, I think Borat was fine, but, you know, different, uh, a little bit of a letdown from what we saw with the first one years ago. A little less to, to work with on as far as the uh, uh, commentary and, and critique of society right now that we were hoping for. But then also uh, on the rocks, overall, just a disappointment. Felt like it left a lot on the table and did not uh, did not do a lot with what it had in front of it. So uh, let's move on to Chris to talk about some movies that are going to be coming out in the next few months that maybe will be ones that will uh, get some more favorable marks from us when we come time okay. to review them. So we're going to have a trailer tapas segment. It's a trailer tapas segment. Excellent. This is where we do have some trailers little morsels, little little bits of trailers that we just like to kind of throw out there and we watch and then we talk about after we digest them and kind of <laughs> <You're> <laughs> whatever making me metaphors hungry. can I mix in here. <laughs> I haven't eaten all day either, so now that's really hurting me as well. But Chris, we do have three trailers we're going to talk about, okay? First one up is the film Stardust. Now, I'll go ahead and give you some of the facts about it before I tell you exactly what the film is about. Okay. The director, Gabriel Range, not familiar with him as a director. I haven't heard of him. Starring Johnny Flynn, actor not as familiar with either. Nope. Jenna Malone. I've heard do of know, him. Do know Jenna Malone. Yes. And Mark Maron, also someone we know. Absolutely. But the most important thing about this to know that this film is about is it is a film about David Bowie, ah. the musician, the artist. And uh, kind of following in the lines of what we've seen with Bohemian Rhapsody, what we saw with Rocket Man. Now we're getting the official film for David Bowie. This one is called Stardust. So let's watch the trailer and we'll talk about it. You and I have not seen this before. Yeah. Let's talk about it after we see it. Hello. Name? David Bowie. 12 singles, every one a total failure except Space Oddity. The record company finds the album too weird for the eggs. I need to be known. I, I need them to know me. There's only one guy at Mercury who doesn't hate your new record with every bone in his body. David Bowie, I presume. Ron Oberman, Mercury Records. 
We got packed couple weeks coming up. Chicago, Philadelphia, New York, and then out to LA. I think we can make it work. All it takes is one believer to change the world. And we got two. Two? You believe in yourself, don't you? I think you're gonna be the biggest star in America. This is a queen family rock station, so keep it safe. Tell me about the new album. Well, what's it all about? It's about the years I spent dressing in women's clothes and getting laid. You want to know why it's not working? If anyone dares to ask you about your actual work, you just do the mystical mime act. There is no authentic me. It's just fear. Well then, be someone else. Be someone else. I don't want to go mad. I want to take my fantasies on stage with me. Think you're a star. Don't stop until you have them on the floor groveling. You're not a space in. You're from Bromley, man. Oh, yes, I am. Rock star or somebody impersonating a rock star. What's the difference? So that was the trailer for Stardust. Now, Chris, you and I had, uh, we've had our conversations about the Queen film, Bohemian Rhapsody. We yes. also had our conversations about the Elton John film, Rocket Man. Just based on the trailer, thoughts on Stardust, the David am, Bowie story. I'm extremely dubious. <laughs> yeah. I, I suspect. I, I think that the fact that um, it does have, um, what's the guy's name? Mark, Mark Marin. Mark Marin, I find him I like him. He's a comedian, but he also has been in several films. He was in Glow on uh Netflix, that series. Um I like him. Um I'm kind of surprised he's associated with this. I think this film I'd actually heard about. I think this is the one that I've heard about where uh the estate of David Bowie actually has kind of disowned it. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't want anything to do with it. I didn't hear any David Bowie music in the trailer, which makes Not me think any this original is, recording. It sounded like it was some orchestral versions, right. uh, overtures of some of his songs. So yeah. it makes me, you know, a little dubious about it. But I mean, you know, I, uh, I don't, yeah, I, don't I, I hope this is a poorly made trailer because the trailer just looks like by the, the most by the numbers biopic film, and uh, uh, and, and it looks so normal. Which is not what I would want from a David Bowie <laughs> biopic film, right? So I'm uh, I'm I'm dubious as well. And plus, and nothing against Gabriel Range, I just don't know him as a director. Neither do I. Uh, it is an IFC Films, which I, I do like the fact that it's a little bit more of an independent, independent film company yeah. as opposed to a big uh, big studio doing it. Right. Um, so we will see. But I'm my hopes are not high right now. Yeah. I'd- I think there is an interesting story to tell about David Bowie. Obviously he's a very charismatic individual. Um, he had a lot of really interesting music and went through a lot of different phases. So obviously there's a story there. I just don't know, um, if this will be able to pull it off. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see. We'll, we'll see. All right. Well, let's move on to our second trailer. Okay. And it is one, uh, the latest film by director Ron Howard. I know. Okay. Um, starring <laughs> a couple of names you may recognize, uh, Amy Adams, 
also starring a Glenn Close. Yep. Okay. This is a film that's about a Yale law student who's drawn back to his hometown, grappling with family history, Appalachian values, and the American dream. And I believe it's based on a true story. It is. I, I don't know if it's based on a book okay. or story, but yes, based on a true story, I just don't know if it's a... If there was a if there was a, a book in between or not, gotcha. need to read up a little bit more on it. Filmed in both uh, Georgia and Ohio, this is the film Hillbilly Elegy. Well, I thought your mama was going to be all right. <laughs> be happy. I know I could have done better, but you you got to decide. You want to be somebody or not? I've been doing real good. I just had a down month. I got an interview tomorrow, Mom. Otherwise, I... Oh, you know me. I always land on my feet. Daddy, don't look at that. Come on, come on. Don't you look at You look at me. You look at me. You let her get away with this every time. I told you that I would do better. You always say that. You're and lying. I always try. You got to think about these kids. What do you think I've been thinking about since I was 18 years old, huh? Never had a life where I wasn't thinking about the kids. Do you actually want to be dead, Mom? Or are you just too lazy to try? Jamie? Oh, I tried. Plenty. You've always got a reason. It's always someone else's fault. Some point. You're going to have to take responsibility or someone else what? is going to have to step in. Who? Huh? Who? You? Hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> How many times have you seen this? Oh, about a hundred. Everyone in this world is one of three kinds. Good Terminator, a bad Terminator, and neutral. You're a good Terminator. Well, I wouldn't always. I had to learn. You could do. I love you. I promise that I'm going to do better. Candy, you got a right to your own life. Don't make us your excuse, JD. Family's the only thing that means a goddamn. You'll learn it. Okay. So Hillbilly Elegy, as if, if you weren't, you know, if you're haven't seen the trailer yet and you obviously couldn't tell from the audio recording of the trailer, <laughs> uh, it is based on a memoir. So based on a true story, but based on the memoir of that true story turned into a film directed by Mr. Ron Howard. Chris, we have, we've reviewed a few couple of Ron Howard films before. I think yeah. the last one we reviewed was Solo. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Which. I think we both found to be a little more enjoyable than we expected. Yeah. But we also could see that Ron Howard, a fairly, I hate to say, fairly pedestrian director, not able to add a whole lot to the film. Now, here we are, a film that's very much a family drama. Mm -hmm. uh, in case you haven't seen the actual trailer, Amy Adams seems to be playing a mother at both uh, two different stages in life, uh, time-wise both as a new mother for a fairly young boy and then one as the boy has grown up. But then Glenn Close playing Amy Adams' mother also in those same time periods. Right. It, it threw me for a second. I think I looked at you in the trailer one time because I thought it was Ron <laughs> Livingston 
who was playing the grown. And I thought, man, having him play Amy Adams' son that doesn't seemed work. like a real mismatch. <laughs> but it's actually Gabriel Basso um, playing J.D. Vance. And uh, not an actor I'm familiar with, but a younger actor makes a little more sense uh, sure. age-wise. Chris, thoughts on this? So, um, you know, it's hard to tell from the trailer because they're obviously going after a certain type of film. You know, you can tell by the music in the trailer, it's like inspirational based on a true story. You get some heavy hitting acting in there by Amy Adams and Glenn Close, which, you know, even looking at the trailer, even if the story is going to be a fairly straightforward story, you know, they're going to act the heck out of it. (laughs) Um, It reminds me of a movie that came out a couple of years ago and I cannot remember, um, it was ba- it was called a glass castle, and it was based off a, a memoir, based Ooh. off a true story memoir about and it was a glass castle, and I can't remember who was in the film, but it, I know the film didn't do well, mm-hmm. and it just came because it came across as it just the elements didn't work, even though it was based on a true story. It just you know some people felt like maybe it was too heavy handed or hand fisted, um, and that's the danger I guess you run when you do movies like this. Um, Based on the trailer, it seems a little bit too kind of formulaic to me. Um, but I mean, and I think it based on the trailer, which that's what we're going on because we haven't seen the film yet, it'll be released on Netflix. But it looks like one of those physical transformation movies that you get a lot of buzz about it because the actors, hey, they do a good job, but they also really transform themselves into the role. Glenn Close, you know, playing this grandmother person, she looks completely you know different you can tell it's her but still it's like a very transformative i'll go ahead and make my prediction this is no bearing on the quality of the movie at all (laughs) okay she is going to get nominated for this whatever the award season is this year she's going to get a nomination i mean you can just tell the trailer is really amped to say look look at going (laughs) close and look at what we've done to her and look at how how she's acting here and Amy Adams, I think, is trying to catch up as well. So and I, I would, I would agree. And I, I have heard early buzz on the film is some people feel like this is going to be Amy Adams's year. Okay. Now, whether, well, whether again, I, I, it's hard to out. say from a trailer like this because you're right. The film could could completely go off the rails. It could be just really a, a misfire. It's got the right elements coming together for it. I will say that. And you know, this seems to be as far as a. Film coming to an online platform. This is coming to Netflix on November 24th. Okay. You know, it's it's one of the higher prestige films that we've seen come to a major streaming platform this year. And, you know, we're all, we were just talking last time about what what's going to happen with the Academy Awards. Sure. What's going to be the plans there? Sure. Obviously, they're making this, this play for this. So we will have to see what happens here. Um, it's interesting. No, I'll, I'll give it that. Looks interesting. I'm anxious to see how it comes together. Yeah, me too. So for the last one, I'll go ahead and tell you, Chris, I've seen this trailer. Okay. I've seen this trailer like six times. Oh, okay, wow. so okay. no no secret here. But uh, the last trailer, the last film we're going to talk about is one that is also coming to Netflix. I think it's coming December 3rd or 4th, first week of December. Okay. It is a film called Mank, M-A-N-K, directed by a Mr. David Fincher, who okay. I believe you're familiar with. I am. Um, and it is about the uh, Herman Mankiewicz, who is the one of the script writers, screenwriters for Citizen Kane. Okay. So let's go ahead and watch the trailer for Mank. Mank. 
Orson Welles. Ready and willing to hunt the great white whale? Just call me Ahab. We're expecting great things. What is it the writer says? Tell the story you know. God bless William Randolph Hearst. God bless everyone. Do you always just say whatever you think? I hear you're hunting dangerous game. This right, you will never finish. You said 90 days. I'm doing the best I can. We are surely to be axed. If I may be so bold, why Hurst? Are you going to say anything? Why are you doing this, Herm? Posterity. Posterity, my ass. From the original Latin. You pick a fight with Willie. You are finished. Don't flatulate. You're not writing an opera. But I am writing an opera. Herman Mankiewicz. Mank. Mr. Mankiewicz. Mank, it's Orson Welles. Of course it is. I think it's time we talked. Ready and willing to hunt a great white whale? Just call me Ahab. Tell the story you know. I hear you're hunting dangerous game. This is different. This is about something. I put up with your suicidal drinking, your compulsive gambling, your silly platonic affairs. I gave you a second chance. How wealth and influence can crush a man. Are you hoping I might absolve you of such a personal betrayal? You made yourself court jester. Nobody but nobody makes a monkey out of William Randolph. You pick a fight with Willie. You are finished. Mank. Mr. Mankowitz. Hmm. <laughs> so. I mean, if ever there was a, a trailer that was cut to appeal to one Alan Jackson. That was it. That would be it. No, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, 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 I am, I, people know I, I'm a huge fan of Citizen Kane. I've spoken about it i've taught about it i i, I love that film mm-hmm. and this trailer if you have not seen it i do encourage you to go see it online because it is shot to look like a 1930s film even the sound mixing is done to mimic the sound quality i've actually read up about this mm. they've actually recorded it to sound like the type of sound system that films were recorded in back at that time as well um it's meant to almost act like a companion piece of Citizen Kane, which is what's exciting to me. Which but worries, to show, which worries me. Yeah. But why is that? Why, why is it worry? Why is it worry? You know, I have gone on record as not being that big of a fan of Citizen Kane. Um, I could admire it when it came out, but to me, it's just it's just not that interesting. Um, okay. The the story. Um, but I can admire the film cause I, you know, I see that it was ahead of its time and you know, all the stuff that people laud on it, you know, I get, it's just at the end of the day, it's just not a, that interesting to me. Um, this film as a behind the scenes tale of Hollywood that, that does interest me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like, you know, Oscar voters usually, you know, run to stuff like this, especially it's a prestige piece. It's a known director. It's a known actor to give thing. Now that could be all the materials for it to also fail because it could really well, sure. under deliver. I, uh, I'm, I'm interested in it. I just wonder if my, my lack of appreciation for citizen Kane 
will affect how I feel about the movie. See, if anything, so I, I think know. films like this actually work more in favor of people like you who don't like the original source material that the film's about, as opposed to someone who's like me who reverse, reveres the film so much that if I see a film about the making of it, I'm going to be a lot more critical mm. and could actually walk away disappointed a lot easier. I so I don't know. Um, I am I am pretty excited to see uh, Lannister back as Charles da- Charles oh, Dance <laughs> playing like Charles the Dance evil playing uh, playing William Randolph Hearst. Yeah, man, I mean, it's oh, not Tywin Lannister. How, but that's who I think of. How is great is that though? Is that Charles yeah. Dance coming to do this part? Yeah, he just he just seems like he like is just chewing scenery. Yeah, which you know, love it. Fair enough. I'm so excited for this, and the fact that it's coming to Netflix. Granted, I want to see this on the big screen, but you know. If it means I can see it when it's available and not have sure. to wait three months for it to make it to our little, our little neck of the woods here in Western North Carolina, sounds great to me. So, um, and I love people who try to act as um, Orson Welles. On, on there's like there ought to be like a whole series so of who everybody is, who plays who is Orson playing Welles. Orson in film. Welles, because I don't think I really. Re- I mean, I, is it this Tom Pelfrey, which is not a known name? I don't really recognize no. that. So I think that's pretty courageous. Got the p- vocals down. I mean, it sounded yeah. just like him. So yeah. we'll see. But there could be like a whole series. We ought to do a whole podcast on just <laughs> films where people act as Orson Welles and compare them against one another. There you so, go. Yeah. Anyway, that's Mank. Super excited. Um, so right away, Chris, we showed three films that in any given year, these could be competing for something. You know sure. I mean? Think about all the awards that Bohemian Rhapsody won. Well, that's right. Stardust is going for that same kind of audience. Sure. Hillbilly Elegy is our family drama that has uh, a lot of heavy acting in it mm-hmm. and people transforming themselves acting wise. Sure. And then you got Mank, a total Hollywood behind the scenes story with a real interesting technical approach to the look and feel and sound of the film with a big name director behind it. Um, See, that's that's interesting. And sadly, you know, normally if if we do something like this, I'd say, okay, Alan, which of the three are you most excited about? (laughs) I'm not going to bother. (laughs) And what's surprising to me is I have to say between all these three, I think I'm probably the most interested in Mank just because it is David Fincher. And I feel like, you know, I don't feel like he is interested in doing like a standard biopic, you know, just, you know, I feel like when he makes movies, they're usually really original visions and original takes. So the fact that he chose to make this and make it look like it could be something that was released at the same time as Citizen Kane, like, I don't know. I, I think he's going to try to make it really stand well, apart. Well, an interesting little note on Mank. You, we, we talked about it during the break before the mics were rolling. Uh, so it is the screenplay. It's Jack by Jack Fincher, who is, um, David Fincher's father. That's cool. So his father kind of wrote the screenplay. Supposedly it's been a, a film that David Fincher has been wanting to do for over 20 years. Oh, wow. Uh, supposedly he wanted to do this after the game, which was the one he did with Michael Douglas back in the nineties, okay. back before he really became David Fincher, the director that everybody really you know, looks up to now. Hmm. Um, so that's really interesting. So it's not only a family uh, kind of side to it, where it has a desire to, to produce a screenplay of his father's, but a film that he's been wanting to do for over 20 years now and now gets a chance to do. And it just so happens to be going streaming to Netflix, which David Fincher has got a little bit of a relationship with net with Netflix. I think he did the series um, about the serial killers. Uh, Mindhunter. Yeah. Mindhunter, I believe was a Netflix premiered show. I believe you're right. And yeah. he produced and directed, I think the first episode of that. So there seems to be a good relationship there with Netflix. Hmm. Um, again, I want to see this film on a big screen, but I'll deal with whatever I have to deal with at the time. And so be it. So 
Okay, and he's also got his like people that he normally has do sound for him. Trent Reznor and Atticus yes. Ross—they're doing sound again, which that seems to bode well. You know, it's like he's got his his people. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, three interesting films. I'm actually, honestly, I'm ex- I'm kind of interested in seeing all three of them. But uh, I do have trepidation with Stardust. I'm more curious about Hillbilly Elegy to see if that that goes down the path that everybody's wanting it to go or not. Sure. And then with Mank, I just please just don't let me down. <laughs> just <laughs> just be good. <laughs> so, fair enough. Fair enough. All right, Chris. Well, that is all we have for our news. Again, we're not even going to touch on delays of theatrical releases and movie theaters and AMC going bankrupt or whatever. <laughs> not going to talk about any of that. Because okay, that's we, let's try to end on an up note. Absolutely, we have three interesting films we're curious about seeing in the next few months, and let's close with our recommendation of the episode. Again, this is you and I, Chris and I, both come up with a film that either we've just recently caught back up with, had a chance to see, maybe we saw it for the first time, uh, but something we want to recommend to you, the listening audience, as an opportunity of something to check out when you have some time. Uh, or if you're in, just in the market for a new film and want to want to have somebody give some recommendations, well, here we are. So, Chris, uh, is yours Halloween themed? It is not. Okay. No. Well, let me go ahead and get my Halloween theme one sure. out of the way first, just because we are past Halloween, so it's a little dated <laughs> okay. already. But uh, then we'll let you give your recommendation. My recommendation is a film that uh, it's not like a small film. It's it's a film most people have heard of, but I will say, uh, anytime a film gets remade. It's, I feel like sometimes it kind of pushes the original maybe a little bit more out of the consciousness of people. Okay. And especially once we've crossed that 20 plus year mark, you know, we need to kind of be reminded of these films. Okay. So my son, my youngest son is a teenager now and uh, very eager. I let him pick for Halloween weekend what, what horror film we wanted to see together. And he, he was really fascinated with wanting to see the original, well, not the original. It's technically, it's a remake, but okay. for all intents and purposes, it is really kind of the, the version of the thing that we all think of. It's not the Howard Hawks version that this one was actually based on, gotcha. which is the thing from another planet, I believe. This is just purely the thing from 1982. Uh, John Carpenter, director. Um, but you have other writers involved. And Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell is the uh, lead star as, Mac- as McCready. Uh, you got Wilford Brimley. You got Keith David, uh, T.K. Carter. I mean, you got a lot of big names in this. And uh, for anybody who's not familiar with the film, it's a story about a research team in Antarctica that becomes basically hunted by a shape-shifting alien that assumes the appearance of its victims. Um, this film's got several things going for it, and I had forgotten how well-made this film was. Um, John Carpenter, I know we talked about his film Halloween yes. a couple years ago, I believe, uh, for one of our podcast episodes. And I remember saying, look, it's Halloween to me was kind of a shoddily put-together film. It worked, but I just felt like it was a, a little amateurish kind of in the way it was made. And I've always felt that way a little bit about John Carpenter's film. I feel like it's a little more thrown together, a little more maybe not the polish that I'd love to see in a a bigger film. (laughs) The Thing, however, though, kind of supersedes that. The Thing is the film I feel like where he probably had the budget. He had the crew around him. He had some good source material. He's going to put together a great horror uh, creature flick. And it still works to this day in my mind. Um, you know, Kurt Russell, 
he had just come off of doing Escape from New York. Okay. So they've kind of, you know, he's kind of positioned himself now as this really tough character, uh, working with John Carpenter on that film as well. And uh, the film works. The effects, yes, they're 1982. I mean, if you really want to get Nick picky about it, they don't hold up as much. Um, and they, but even my 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 teenage son looked at him and it's like, look, I know they're it's fake, but they were still pretty creepy and scary mm-hmm. for what they were. And I guess that's what you got to hope for with a film that's almost 40 years old. Um, I think it works, and I think it works because it it's it's one of the first in the genre of okay. Here we are in an isolated place, a group of a group of characters, and we have to now try to figure out who is who's the bad guy, you know, who is the one that's infected, who's the one that's really the creature. So you have tests, you have uh, things where they try to break the group apart and pit them against one another, and all those dynamics just still really work. And um, you know, it's been repeated a lot since then. There's even been a remake of this version of the theme uh, thing just a few years ago that didn't really make a lot of impact. Um, but I was just uh, really appreciated how much I still enjoyed the the actual 1982 John Carpenter version of the thing. I know it's past Halloween, may not be the best time to be watching it again, but it's still worth a watch um, for a really well-made horror film back in that time period. Okay. Yeah. Great. Chris, what have you got to share with us or recommend for us here? So as circumstances would have it, um, to watch Borat subsequent movie film, um, I signed up for a free membership for Amazon prime cause I do not have that normally. Okay. And then what am I left to do with the other 29 days of my membership? Um, mm-hmm. feeling somewhat unsatisfied as we talked about earlier in our review of Borat subsequent movie film. I was like, what, what am I going to do to, you know, to watch? I've got this service now. Let me find something. Well, I came across a documentary called Time, which I'd heard a little bit about um, on the internet, Twitter. I'd heard a little bit of buzz about it. It's 81 minutes, and it's the story of Fox Rich, who's a mom and modern-day abolitionist, she describes herself as. Mm -hmm. And she is striving to keep her family together while fighting for the release of her incarcerated husband. what makes this unique too is that during his incarceration, which has been for a long time, um, she has used camcorded footage, camcorder footage, to basically document her son's growing up. She was pregnant with, I believe, twins when he went into prison, so he has never seen them face to face. She sometimes sent some of these tapes to him in prison, so he could see like the growth of his children. Um, but it spans, I don't even know how long, maybe 20 years or so. And it's coupled with some footage shot more recent that is beautiful, pristine, black and white, like widescreen footage. And you cut that together with this, you know, black and white camcorder footage. So it's just a really interesting document, Mm -hmm. um, and how they piece it together and they jump back and forth in time, but you're never really lost as far as what's going on. Um, it's just a really interesting expressionistic kind of take on a documentary and um it's it's pretty moving and you find out this isn't spoiling anything but you find out you know they're a struggling family and basically she drives her husband and i think it was her husband and maybe a an uncle or something to go rob a bank mm. And so she goes to prison and he goes to prison, but she gets out earlier because basically like she does a plea bargain and he doesn't do that. And so he stays in there for the whole time. Hmm. 
and it is it's interesting and just you know about the criminal justice system and about you know it, it's it's a really interesting exploration of that process and instead of being like an outside removed documentary where you just see these people and you have talking heads this was stuff being done as her kids were growing up and as wow. she is you know aging as well and so it's just a really interesting perspective on that it is called mm-hmm. simply time and it was directed by garrett bradley so i, I what, recommend it what platform it or is where can on you... amazon prime Am- that's right you borat mentioned is. Amazon <laughs> so, okay. i mean i, th- I believe kind of like borat it is exclusive to that platform right okay. now all right um, but it has been getting a lot of positive buzz and i can add mine to it that it is a it's a well-made documentary and kind of an interesting way of putting a documentary together because it's kind of this found footage of this woman mm-hmm. who used a camcorder plus some more recent footage of interesting well shot. Right. So yeah. it's been added to my watch list. Okay. Uh, I've got it on there. So very cool. Well, that is a uh, two different, very different movies, yes. but that's always good to have a little mixture of different types documentary time. Yes. Uh, and then the 1982, the thing horror film. That's our recommendations for the episode. So very, very nice. I'm, I'm always impressed. We, we come up with some decent recommendations every episode. Yeah, we, we nice. try. We try. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy with that. All right. Well, Chris, I think that wraps us up for today. We have talked and reviewed the film, the, the Borat subsequent movie film. We reviewed On the Rocks. Uh, both of those available online. Borat's available on Amazon Prime, as you just mentioned. And then uh, On the Rocks is Apple TV+. Plus. Then we played some trailers for some upcoming films, Stardust, which will be, it's the David Bowie biopic film that is going to be coming out um, on VOD or video on demand and in theaters. looks like later in November. Then we've got Hillbilly Elegy, which is coming out on Netflix, November 24th. And then Mank is coming out also on Netflix, I believe December 4th. I remember correctly. You're right. Uh, yeah, December 4th is right there on the screen in front of me. <laughs> so a lot of uh, interesting films to check out over the next few months. We will be discussing and reviewing them as they do come out. And uh, Chris, if anybody's got any feedback on anything we've talked about today, how can they go about getting a hold of us? Best way would be to send us an email to info at footcandle.org. And you can maybe mention a movie that you have seen that we've missed that you'd like for us to talk about. That's an excellent way to let us know that. You can follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. And Alan and I both also have accounts on Letterboxd where we try to track what we're seeing and maybe write small reviews. So you can check us out there as well. And that's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D. No final E in that. Also, last but not least, give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends and iTunes to help us reach new listeners. We'd always appreciate that. And we're also available on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. So those are other ways you can listen to us and spread the good word. Yeah, so we really do appreciate you listening. We appreciate any feedback you can provide us as well. And uh, just also, too, check out the rest of the uh, podcast on the Mesh.TV podcast network. We have a lot of different shows, a lot of different topics, a lot of different categories of shows to listen to, everything from comedy to business to hear film and music. So a lot of great shows to listen to all for free uh, for your own listening pleasure. So go to TheMesh.TV. You can go back and listen to old episodes of this show, or you can subscribe and listen to this show or any other show on the network, all for free, all for your listening pleasure. So with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening to Foot Candle Films, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time. Take care. See you in a socially distanced ticket line. Watch films. 
Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.